Hello, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Anna Loder from readabook.com.au. I'm a lifelong reader and book lover and a long-time book club member. 15 years, I can't believe it. I've been a bookseller for 13 and now I'm a reviewer and blogger. This is a weekly podcast celebrating that love of books and reading. I'm so excited to be in your ears today. Before we get started, can I quickly pay my respects to the Darawal people of the Uyora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which I work, play, read and live on. Along with the traditional owners of the lands throughout Australia, I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Let's get started. This afternoon, I get to talk with author Victoria Brookman. I loved her debut novel, Burnt Out, for a novel that is all about climate change and the black summer and homes burning and our world in peril. This is a funny novel. It's fun. It's witty. It's smart. It's insightful. It's the whole package. I cannot wait to talk to Victoria about it today. There will be coarse language in this episode. I'm not sure if you are okay with swearing, but it's all through the book. So if it's not something that you are comfortable with, this probably isn't the book for you. But oh my goodness, this is a book where you just, what are we doing with the world? Do something. It first opens in the black summer of 2019 to 2020. Callie lives in the mountains. She's an author with terrible writer's block trying to write her second novel. As anybody who lived in Sydney in 2019, we know how bad the fires were in the Blue Mountains over that summer. And she talks of the sore throat that were a constant presence. She talks of the fear of her home being burnt down. She's already evacuated several times. When we first meet Callie, her husband has just left her and the fire burned down her home. She's taken refuge with the neighbour. She has got nothing. There's news reporters and media there. She comes out, confronts the media, saying what we all want to say when faced with these, oh my God, what the hell are we doing with the world? So she very clearly says, fucking do something over that course of the next chapter. It feels like it happens very fast. She finds herself a benefactor in a handsome tech billionaire, Arlo Richards, and moves to his Point Piper house. And it goes from there. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Victoria Brookman this afternoon. I know that she's very busy. She is a fascinating person, though. So this is her debut novel. She's written a couple of practice novels. She had one that she spent years on trying to perfect on a family joining a cult so that they wouldn't have to live in the capitalist system, which is one that I definitely want to read. She is an academic. She's studying for her PhD. She is an activist. She's part of the Destroy the Joint movement. And I think she's also organized marches for violence against women as well. She's a fascinating, clever, articulate, and I'm really looking forward to talking to her today. Hello. Thank you so much. I cannot appreciate it enough. I'm so excited to chat to you. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no, I wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. I've been a fan of yours for years now. This is so unfair. (laughs) Oh, bless. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk about the bookshop that you mentioned in Burnt Out. Oh, Um, yeah. Which one's that? Uh, So it's not a real life bookshop. Oh, bless. I know. It's the most perfect (laughs) shop ever. It's one that I haven't been to. It's kind of a combination of all the Blue Mountains bookstores all rolled into one. We have such a wonderful array of bookstores up here, all indies, and they've actually recently organised into something they're calling the Blue Mountains Bookshop Trail. So you can find where other bookshops are online and then work your way up the mountains visiting each of these bookshops. There's like secondhand like ones. That's unreal. So cool. It was a combination of all those bookshops rolled into one. 
and and one that used to exist. It was kind of set back in the arcade, so that's where I kind of yes, wanted to. Yes, that's the way that it's described in your novel. We have such lovely booksellers up in the mountains. You know, all booksellers that I meet are wonderful. But Absolutely. Actually, the mountains ones are just like they've always got your back as a local author yeah. and there to chat. And I swear our local one in, in Springwood, Peggy at Returning Page, I'm sure she's been hand-selling my book to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> How is it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's gone well. You know, it's a really hard time to debut as an Australian author. Yes, absolutely. I mean, every time I chat to authors, everyone's like, oh my God, all our sales are so far down across the board because mm. Because the book talk, basically, yeah. and I love book talk. I have some great friends that I've made through those channels who are really keeping people reading and getting people really interested in different books. And people are catching the reading bug, and that's yeah. something I love to see. You yeah. would be the same. Love to see people. Oh, just- Dave's got oh. two daughters. They think reading's cool now because of book talk. <laughs> and so it's like, well, you know, I think the whole industry has been in disarray as a result because even though it's great, everyone's reading. They're all reading American stuff. Yeah. And so some Australian things like Sally Thorne's been going quite well. But, yeah. It's, but it's, it's not to the same extent as Colleen Hoover. Not our good old, yeah. And it's not our good old, like, team of commercial women's fiction authors who work so hard to put, you know, many of them are putting out books each year that are of such yeah. a high standard. And I love reading our local women's fiction. It's just it's something you don't get from other reads. Well, reading um, that scene where Callie yeah, goes yeah. to the bookshop <laughs> And I'm like, I've been to a bookshop in the Blue Mountains. I've been to lots of bookshops in the Blue Mountains. I think I know it. Do I know this one? I don't know that I do. Like, but you just, <laughs> it's such a special experience when you're reading about places that you know and summers that you lived through as well. And just, yeah. it's that whole, you could never do that with an Emily Henry book. You won't That's ever right. be able to do that with an overseas book in the same way that you know the scenes and the feelings and the, the smells, all of the smells in your book as well yeah. I could smell the lavender disinfectant that she was oh using my God. that was straight out of my life my <laughs> <laughs> like first lines I wrote I often tell people I wrote the first few lines of burnt out when I was evacuated I was actually standing outside big w in Penrith Westfield and this line came to me because it's what we did every time we evacuated was well we may as well like tidy up the house beforehand <laughs> so that we don't come home to like a filthy house no one wants to come home after literally <laughs> being like, evacuated and why is the toilet so disgusting? Um, that, was, that experience was the first line I wrote in my phone standing outside Big W and I was like, this, I'm going to make this into a book. This is going to happen. I do want to talk to you about your cult novel because I really want to read it. Oh, my God, I love that novel. Oh, I, <laughs> I wrote so... myself into a ditch. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah. So it's in the bottom drawer, I assume, for yeah, when yeah. you become so rich and successful that you can just offer them anything. <laughs> right. I also have an historical fiction. Yeah, which sounds great too. The cult novel, I worked on that for five years and I loved it. Like I still love it. I think about that novel all the time and I'm like, what does it mean? What does it mean? It just pops up. You know, you just have ideas. Pop it's unfinished business, Whoa. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it was very fun, compelling. I think the, the main character was quite Callie-like as well. You know, she was in a bit of a rut. Got two small children. She's moved to Byron Bay. It was set before Byron Bay really exploded as a Hemsworth paradise. Yeah. And yeah. so before all the rich people were like, sweet, I'm going to move up there and be best friends with Elsa. And it was <laughs> like, which, look, I, I would if I could. <laughs> My sister lived in Byron Bay for a few years and I think it's it's definitely different now. 
is, right? And it's just, so it was kind of on the cusp of the extreme unaffordability. It was just as the median price point was hitting where Sydney was. And I wanted to kind of capture that idea that this long held dream that so many of us have had for so long, which is like, well, if it all gets too hard, I'm just going to move up to Byron and do some good, honest work. And I'm going to live by the sea and my kids will grow up with salt encrusted hair and skin and will just live this beautiful, hippie, progressive fantasy on the North Coast. Yeah. And I wanted to capture the fact that that was disappearing really rapidly. And so I started writing that in kind of end of 2014, beginning of 2015. I was writing it for my master's at Macquarie Uni, which was a research master's basically. Mm -hmm. And I submitted a few chapters for the master's, but while I was waiting to get into my PhD at Macquarie, I was waiting for them to mark my master's, which took an obscenely long amount of time. I sat there in the library because I had childcare still and was like just writing this book two days away from it just was one of those ones where you just have so much fun with it that you don't mind going back and rewriting and rewriting it. It was really fun to spend five years on. But I was querying it at various points, including with my current agent, Gabby. And each time I would get a rejection and most people would be like, it wasn't for me, but some agents would give that one or two sentences of feedback that would be like gold, really kind of just give you one little thing and go, oh, that's how other people see it. I understand. But eventually, like I said, I just wrote myself into a ditch with it. It lives on in my heart. (laughs) But I'm, I'm not sure... I'm still not really sure what to do. It's one of those ones I'd love to put in front of an editor, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe have one access day. to that with HarperCollins now then? Yeah, I think I'm at the stage in my career where I have to, I'm oh, I'm not technically contracted for my second book, oh, so yeah. I have to write the book and then send it to I'm them. so sorry to be asking the question. Oh, no, that's all right. Sure. I think it's really important to be honest about how we all are. So when I got burnt out signed with HarperCollins, they were like, oh, really quickly, what's your next novel idea? And I was like, oh, God, I'm literally on holidays right now and you're asking to Zoom with me tomorrow. <laughs> I was in such a rush that I just, like, concocted some, like, watered-down version of the cult novel and was like this. And they were like, look, we won't sign it at this stage. And I'm like, that's fine. I'm Like many authors, I would have yeah, pretty much yeah. signed my first contract for free. I would have, whatever, just publish me. <laughs> I was happy enough to be published with Burntown. It's allowed me a lot of freedom, though, because my second novel that I've, well, my most complete next novel is called The Norwegian, and it's what I've been doing for my PhD. At oh, Western wow. City. Got burnt out vibes, and it's got kind of political subthreads, but it's very Excellent. different. It's the Norwegian, it's very different, and that is partly because I've been paid a scholarship for three years by the uni and it's not anything I could actually use to support my family (laughs) if I had to but it certainly helped to supplement my missing wage from our family and that has meant that I could go deep into whatever I wanted to write and really reach into the (laughs) dark recesses of my mind and Mm. the world around me and so is it gonna be is it a dark one yeah, it's quite dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a good romancy element. It is like close future speculative. It's set mm-hmm. in the 2030s. It's basically the idea is imagine if Scott Morrison had stayed prime minister for another 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that dark. <laughs> that wincing. That's the, <laughs> I really like it when people wince when I say that. Um, <laughs> We were starting to see things, right, like the Australia Post kind of breaking down, right, yeah. and yeah. food prices soaring and soaring. Mm-hmm. You know, inflation going up, interest rates going up, things like that that often just like, well, that's part of the global economic system. But also there was a point there where I went, oh, shit, 
if we have this guy in charge of our country, what is it going to look like? How much worse can it get? How much more unequal? He's not doing anything about climate change. How much worse is that going to get? The environmental destruction that we see around us. And so that was really kind of the seed idea for the Norwegian. And it's been a really fun book to write, but in a really dark, (laughs) dark and scary way. Oh, I can't wait to read it. It sounds fantastic on there. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not a rom-com and also I think if I'd been contracted for my second rom-com, I would have been feeling a lot more pressure to fit this next one into a really tight generic box. And of course I love rom-coms and I'd love to keep writing them. (laughs) It's so much fun. But for the PhD novel, it's much more just breathe a bit and see what comes. Burnt Out was so different though. It's not a typical rom-com. It's not a typical book at all. I think, is it called Cli-Fi for climate fiction? If it's not an imagined climate catastrophe that's happened, it's an actual one because... Well, I think so. And I think cli-fi is a massive genre. And obviously, you know, that term borrows from sci-fi. And it's really, a lot of the time, things like that are very speculative. But as a student of the cli-fi genre, I think it takes in a lot of different aspects of novel writing. The two of the cli-fis that I'm studying for my thesis are The End of the Ocean by Maya Lunda. Who's oh, I've been on my list for years. Oh, so yeah. good. Yeah. So, very much split in between the kind of present day climate activism and a speculative horrible climate future which interweave beautifully like it's such a good novel and then the other one I'm looking at is a bit more subtle is Jenny Offal's Weather which was one of those ones it's I've missed it yeah it's quite short but it's climate is kind of one of just many threads in the background of the book and my main thing I'm looking at in my thesis is mothering and climate and kind of mothering in crisis basically so I think there's a lot of authors who really want to keep writing about climate in different aspects and just inserting it into whatever they're working on because you know of course we're living the climate catastrophe Mm. now the breakdown's happening we need to Mm. act right now and so I think it doesn't have to be just a sci-fi thing where you're writing some speculative scary future world where (laughs) you can't really identify with it so there's distance like it's really having that closeness that you are actually you know living it or can see that you could be living it quite quickly yeah that's really for the genre as well. Yeah, right. I understand. I always thought it was some far off distant catastrophe that was waiting to happen. But God, this is one that has happened and will happen again. The black sun was obviously hot and smoky. Yeah, they were too. Yes. Obviously, that's one of my big questions. So I think we have all at one point or another just do something. What the it's obviously a very deep book from that point, and that it really is a climate emergency. We're watching the world just in absolute peril, and we're just we're standing by and we just but oh it's such a good novel, and it doesn't at no point does it ever get claustrophobic or too post-traumatic I think for anybody who lived in Sydney over that summer of 2019-2020 that was a yucky summer I know we had soot covering the the books outside there was that coughing nothing compared to obviously what you had in the Blue Mountains but it was horrible wasn't it and and I think that's the other thing about the bushfires is no matter where you lived in the Sydney area and up the coast and down the coast you had your own experience of the bushfires and I think it was really important to me to capture that but I 
I, the main thing, as you're saying, it's not claustrophobic. That was really important to me as well. Yeah. I really wanted to make sure that for, first and foremost, I was telling a good, compelling story. Yes. Because I didn't want to go in there and preach about stuff and be like, hear me now. Yeah. Ooh, repent and vote Labour, even though everyone did. And I'm really happy, obviously. <laughs> but... <laughs> I didn't want it to be some dragging thing where people are like, okay, we get it. There's yeah. climate change alone. I just wanted it to be a part of her life and a part of the story in the way that it is rapidly becoming, becoming- a part of all of our lives, whether yes. we want it or not. Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. Like at no point did I ever feel like I was being hit over the head with what I should be doing. It just felt like I was just in amongst with friends, just like, what the hell are we going to (laughs) do? And meanwhile, her life is carrying on and things are being done and she's moving to Point Piper and it's just part of the story. Yeah, I know. And I wanted it to be like, it's got these hard choices to make, right? And I wanted her to feel like, oh God, I've really lucked out here. Like, how have I managed to get myself into Point Piper after fucking everything up so badly? Oh, for- it's not her. <laughs> She's the victim. But also. <laughs> oh, bless. This is a hard one to talk about without spoilers, but it yeah. definitely is about gaslighting as well and about well, domestic violence or violence against women. I know that you're very much an activist in that sphere and you're very important with Destroy the Joint, which is so cool. At no point do you ever feel like you're being bashed over the head with that either. You- Especially if my current book I'm writing is at what point do you know that things have turned bad? At the start, I think it says on the blurb, so it won't be much of a spoiler. She's kind of heartbroken and angry and feeling like this is so unjustified. And a lot of people who I've spoken to are like, yeah, well, she's annoying. Like she kind of deserves to be left in a way, you know. You no, know, I was talking about Callie to my partner, Dave, and he had the same reaction. I was like, no, like she's she needs it. It's not fair. And he's like, well, yeah, he's been paying the rent for years. She's swanning around. She's watching reality TV. But <laughs> I know, and that's it. I wanted to kind of capture that idea that, like, you know, she's there pretending to make art and yeah. having him basically be her patron in a like once was voluntary but not really voluntary way anymore. And they kind of have broken contracts with each other in that way, where yeah. he has been like, yes pursue this yeah and she's gone well with her first novel and they think that it's going to be some big rolling thing where she will be a well-paid novelist forever I mean hello this is Australia but he's kind of broken the contract with her as well because he hasn't been up front with her about what's going on and how he's feeling and he's resented and- he's belittled he hasn't given her the space that she needs like right. it's all these things yeah Exactly. So I kind of wanted to look at like the way relationships kind of turn a bit and you're saying gaslighting is obviously yeah. really and I'm really happy we're having those discussions these days because we have them amongst women I know as well which is like at what point did Hannah Clark the woman yeah, who I know Hannah Clark I mean I don't know her but yeah. Yeah, yeah everyone knows of her yeah. but at what point did she know that he was going to become a horrible murdering type you know or was he buddy sending her kid down to play in the cricket nets with his dad yeah I know at what did she know that he was going to kill? I think there are so many little subtleties where relationships can just turn and resentment can fester for a long time. And yeah, I wanted to kind of give that complexity to Kelly and the men in her life and yeah. kind of illustrate it in a, a deeper way. It's important to reflect those real subtleties mm. into 
literature and art without just being like, this is about violence. You're going to yes! be like, yeah. Like, perfectly. In that bit, there was a man who was awful and let's see her overcome it. And Yeah, and it does like, happen. But what was interesting is few people in reviews were like, oh, Joff was like a cartoonish villain, you know, he turned into like some weirdo who suddenly, you know, turned on the flick of a switch and I was like, a man will always be like, here, I am angry now. Here, let's have a discussion. I will show you my anger ramping up. Like, that's... Oh, come on. It was like one woman. <laughs> it stayed with me for ages because I was like, you kind of, when you read that stuff, you feel gaslit yourself. Yeah, way. absolutely. Like, yeah. Oh, I know that there are some men who are like this. I have a friend who went through a horrible divorce and they went from being like, we're having a good adult divorce to him being a fucking nightmare. I know that. Like, yeah. I know that men who have flipped that switch and become. Yeah. yeah. And these people sitting in their bedrooms reading the book going, I don't believe that men would do that. So like, they had a really lucky existence. <laughs> that you never come across one or hear about one because in the suburbs it happens all the time yeah of course it does yeah you're <sighs> so right people are just so silly oh most people have been so lovely about the book well it's such a good book <laughs> when they have every reason to be positive about it it's such a good book now i wanted to talk quickly the things that Callie is dealing with are next level whether to take a private jet over to paris whether to live in point piper the decisions that she's making are very much ones that we make when we see the climate in catastrophe we're still buying the green bags even though we shouldn't be using bag can you talk a little bit about her struggle it's definitely real yes I love that I think it's part of the thing is that we're living in this age of crisis and expecting things to go on as normal Mm -hmm. and we saw with COVID everyone suddenly shut down and they were like there's dolphins returning to the canals of Venice and there's wildlife roaming the streets in London and it was this kind of weird but cool moment where I thought maybe we can change I wonder, is any of this going to have a more permanent effect? Are we going to go, that's kind of, you know, maybe we don't need foxes on like the library steps, but maybe we can make some changes so that we welcome more wildlife into Mm -hmm. these. And that would mean altering capitalism a bit. How can we rein in capitalism so that we're not just all going straight back to work and spreading (laughs) this horribly contagious virus? Mm -hmm. And then this year they just went, oh, COVID's over. And it's like, it is not over. This is not over. And then you just see this peak and it's like, it's because you all gave in to the business council. Landlords went, we need people to come back into our buildings in the city. And and then they started going, we'll think about the little coffee shop owners in the kiosks in the middle of the city. It's like, well, what about the coffee shop owners in the suburbs who now have heaps of people coming into their coffee because they're working at home? This whole system has been privileging (laughs) these wealthy capitalists Mm -hmm. and we've had this opportunity to shake things up and we've seen little shake-ups like more people are working at home, there's hybrid working, blah, blah, blah. But I don't feel like any changes come and we're just seeing more and more climate disasters and heat waves and floods and it boggles the mind, right? And I think yeah. it boggles every mind. But seeing it reflected in Callie's boggling was just so insightful. I, right. I don't and know what the answer is. I don't think it's fresh sourdough every morning. I, think. No, I don't think the billionaires are the answer to climate change. And I don't think we can trust them because if they actually cared about the planet, then they wouldn't be billionaires anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, go and put it back into the environment. Yeah. Ride your private jet over to Paris to talk at conferences about <laughs> climate emergencies. Oh, that was so good. 
Congratulations. Okay, I'm letting you go now. Thank you very much, pretty Victoria. I could not appreciate enough. Yeah, all right. Bye. Bye. Okay, so that's it for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Please leave a review wherever you can, but especially where you found my Readable podcast. If you'd like more connection, please head on over to thereadable.com.au. There's plenty of book reviews and recommendations there, and that's also where you'll find my blog. And I would love, love, love to welcome you into our community. There's a membership page on readable.com.au. There are three levels. The first is free, and I'm so hoping that you would like to Help me build my online community where we can enjoy reading more together. Thank you.